Father. Thank you all. Are you ready to enjoy the word together? I am. Today we're going to be looking at um, one of the most unheralded episodes in the Bible, but yet I think that it is extremely important, and uh, we're going to learn a lot today, but we're, we're also going to be empowered through this learning for where we are as saints and for what we're called to do. Um, I want to preface this as you turn to Luke chapter 11 by stating that this is uh, some of you biblical purists who read the scripture a lot, and I'm grateful for you, are familiar with this story, but for the most part, it just kind of washes under the bridge. And it's so important in the study of Elijah and Elisha. It is so important. And this, this, um, this that we're going to speak about today really does describe the world we're living in. As we're, as we're going forth to, um, to be a, a voice like, um, a prophetic voice like Elijah, and we're raising up those that would uh, be Elijah's, what we're going to talk about today describes what happened originally and really then does open um, the door for us to see where we are today. And, and hopefully... We'll, we'll stick with this together. So Luke chapter 11 uh, is, uh, is a very powerful chapter. It, it, goes, it goes on, as you can see, for 54 verses. So it's one of those uh, ones, I don't know whether the translator, the guy that was supposed to come and relieve him, uh, was still out at lunch, and so he just kept translating, and he went all the way to verse 54, um, Certainly not an Isaiah, uh, uh, a Psalm 119, but still, this is a pretty long chapter. And we, we do have tremendous things we've talked about here. Ask and, um, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you'll find. Um, we have the story about uh, Beelzebub and um, the, the strong man and the strongholds. And uh, man, this is, this is really a powerful chapter, but one of the ones that we don't it's almost like we, it, I don't know. I mean, the Word of God is so wonderful, and there's so much in it. But so often, I don't know whether it's that other passages around, certain passages are so bright that they captivate our attention, and then we just kind of are worn out before we get to the, the rest of the, the verses, or whether it's just that the Lord has preserved this for our time. I think it's a little of both. But here is Jesus in uh, verses 50 and 52 of uh, Luke chapter 11, and he's talking about the prophetic ministry. And look at what he says. And, and, and with this, he, uh, he, he's talking to the, uh, the doctors of the law, the, the lawyers, as it were, the scribes and the Pharisees. He's talking about people who basically control the mindset of the people of God. And he says in verse 49 that prophets and apostles are being sent. That's, that's from the wisdom of God. And then in verse 50, 
the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You have entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in you hindered. Let's just look at this on surface. Here is Jesus, and he's talking about the blood of prophets that were shed from the foundation of the world, and then he uses his examples, Abel and Zechariah. Now, we know who Abel was. We know the story of Cain and Abel. We know that he was, Abel was the first person ever murdered. We know that his blood cried out from the ground to God. We know that the story of, of uh, if you do right, you'll be accepted. If, you, if you're not careful, sin crouches at the door. And we, we understand that Cain got angry with his brother, and, but really with God, because God accepted the sacrifice, the obedient sacrifice of Abel, and did not, but, but openly rejected what Cain did because it was disobedience. We understand that. Um, but here is Jesus saying that that's basically the first prophet. I mean, look at it. There it is. So the law of first issuance was this guy, Abel, who obeyed God and offered what God required at the expense of his own life. That, I'm telling you, that's martyria right there. And, and I, think we need to, I think we need to recognize that the significance of this. Now, and we're going to talk about Zechariah. That's going to be the bulk of our message. And I, I think it's very important that we understand this. However, um, we, uh, we've studied a lot about prophets over the past year, particularly in Samuel, in Ramah. And while we know that Moses was called a prophet, we know that Abram was called a prophet, we know that the people were encouraged to prophesy. We know that Deborah prophesied uh, for Barak and for the armies of, of the people of God. We, we know that there were prophets. But really, the first institutional prophet, the one that really had an impact on the nation in an unparalleled way, was Samuel. And you, you look at what he did, and you look at what God tried to do during those uh, end points of the days of the judges. And we, we, again, we've studied about that. The Ramah, the Naoth, the, the various outposts of the, of the seven places. And do you realize that it was 150 years between Samuel and Elijah? Now, you had prophets like Nathan and Gad who spoke to, you had a guy named Ido, you had all, all those kind of unique prophets that we, we don't really know a whole lot about. But 
Samuel tried to establish something, it, it had its efficacy, it, it was welcomed by David, it was kind of perverted, to say the least, at the time of Solomon. And in those intervening years leading up to Elijah, we see that the nation was divided and they were basically worshiping the devil. And that really is how we enter into Elijah's point of ministry, which would then subsequently be the Elisha's coming. Um, this second prophet, Zechariah, is the untold story. Well, it's there in the Bible, but we don't focus on it as much. We, we see Elijah slaying all the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, but not, not all the prophets, just 850 or 800 or so. There were a whole lot more of them around. And we're going to see that. And um, we, we know the story of Jezebel. We know Ahab. We know Naboth's vineyard. We know, we know all those stemwinder things. What doest thou here, Elijah? Put your mantle around your noggin. We know all of those. We, we've studied those. Then we hear God finally saying to Elijah, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and anoint Elisha to be a prophet serving in your room. I want you to go and have Jehu anointed because he's going to do something for me. And I want you to anoint this guy named Haziel to be king of Samaria. Sometimes we read that and we just we, we say, oh yeah, you're going to go and anoint uh, Elisha. But the other two are really significant. And that has to do with this guy out of all the prophets that Jesus could have spoken about, this Zechariah guy. And really... Some have argued that in the Jewish Tanakh, or the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the first prophet that was murdered in them was Abel, and the last one was Zacharias. Because in that, in that collection of books, the Chronicles are the, the, the final one. That, that's what Jesus uh, was operating from for all these Jewish people that he was talking to. So there's probably significance in that. But I would also suggest that Abel, in his first fruits as a prophet, um, showed something about a devotion to God and an obedience to God, which is necessary for any prophetic word. Zechariah represented someone who had very much a saint's like ministry, where he stood up and said, You people are perverting what God has begun. You need to repent of this and you need to get back to what God has ordained. And For that, he lost his life. So let's, let's talk about this and let's, let's really put on our, our meat-chewing choppers and get ready to understand what this story is because Jesus, the Son of God, highlighted this. And I dare say... I don't know this, but I know what happened over the last 40-plus years. This has never been preached from this pulpit. And I'm not faulting Fjordbach. I'm not faulting myself. But what I'm saying is this is a very important thing. And for Jesus to earmark this Zacharias 
is, is really vital for us. And um, so, during the days when Ahab and Jezebel were ruling the northern kingdom, Israel, um, you had King Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah, and he was there in Jerusalem. And um, for the most part, he seemed to have a heart that was after God. Um, and in fact, the famous story when Elisha shows up, remember when um, the, the three kings, uh, Israel and Judah with Jehoshaphat and, and Edom, Edom's king were gathered together and they were going to go to war against Misha, the sheep master, and Moab. And Elisha comes in and says, you know, I don't have any respect for you in this northern kingdom. The only reason I'm here is because I respect Jehoshaphat. Remember that? That's a good way to open a beginning, <laughs> to open a meeting. <laughs> you know, the only reason I'm here, I don't really like you. But this guy, I respect. Well, Jehoshaphat, as I said, for the most part, was worshiping God. But he did some dumb things. Let me tell you about one of them that fits into this Zechariah story. You tell me whether this is dumb or not, okay? Not being mean to Jehoshaphat, but this was kind of really a, the dumb of all dumb things. So Jehoshaphat has a son, and his name is Jehoram. And he's thinking, okay, who can, who can, I, uh, who can I get my son married to that will strengthen the kingdom? So what's he do? He goes to Jezebel. And he finds her daughter. And that is who Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, marries his son to. Now, let me ask you. You think that was dumb? Yes. Because, see, you had Jezebel, uh, a virgin devoted to Baal, whose father, Ekbalo, was the king of Tyre and Sidon. You wonder why during the days of Ezekiel you had Prince of Tyre, King of Tyre. That place was steeped in demonic worship. And so that was the place that fueled all of Jezebel's influences where the temple of Baal was being built and you had uh, all kinds of other crazy teachings and doctrines of devils that were just coming straight out of that. Well, as soon as her daughter gets married to Jehoram, all of that stuff starts happening big time in Judah. So you, you have during the days of Elisha, if Baker was here, he'd put the words up on the screen, these are the days of Elijah, and we'd have to sing it for a little while, blow the show far after. Um, you know, you, 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 we talk about the days of Elijah, but this stuff is happening. We talk about Ahab and Jezebel being defeated by Jehu, but these are happening. And during the days of Elijah, you notice if you look at the flow of the prophets that are listed in Scripture, up to that point, they were all speaking to Israel. You can look at it. But at this juncture, suddenly the majority of them start speaking to Judah. And it wasn't just because of the Assyrian uh, captivity. Um, but, but it's very interesting. This, this, these days of Elijah and Elisha were crux points. So, here is Jehoram. And he has married this woman, Athaliah, 
who is Jezebel's daughter. And they have a son whose name was Ahaziah. You writing all this down? It's in the Word. You can, you can see it for yourself. And he's, he's not a very good character either. So Jehu was anointed by, by one of Elisha's reps. You can read about that. So Jehu becomes the king of, of Israel, and you know the story. He not only drives fast, but he, he's going out, and he's, he's, killing, he's killing all these people. And, and he's just doing the work of the Lord. I mean, he, 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 he takes over, and he says, okay, now, um, Ahab worshiped Baal, but I am really going to worship Baal. So let's have a big feast for Baal. And all these people come together, and he kills them all. And then they tear down the altar of Baal, and they make it into a big latrine. It, the King James says it more clear, the, the, the place of the draught. But that's what it is. It's the latrine. So if you're anywhere and you're looking for the, the, the ladies' room, if you see a sign that says, to the draught, that's probably what it means. But Jehu's doing all these things, and he also kills, stick with me now, because this is good reading. This is the Bible. He kills... Ahaziah, this son of Jehoram and Jezebel's daughter. So here's where it really gets weird. Jezebel's daughter thinks, uh-oh, things aren't really looking very good for me. You know, my, my son's now dead, so there's no ruler. Um, what am I going to do? So she being a good daughter of the devil, she goes and kills every person with any connection to royalty that she can find. I mean, she's just killing them off one by one, ruthlessly, until she now is the only acknowledged ruler of Judah. These are the days of Elijah and Elisha. except for one. Now, obviously, you know, these kings, they had concubines, and they were, you know, they were really, um, you know, Ahab had 70 sons. Can you imagine that? Where did you find the time? Even with post-it notes, Dennis, that would be hard to do. I don't, that's Wilt Chamberlain-like. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable, 70 sons. Jehu got them all, just nailed them. And, um, but obviously, um, there was a little boy, baby Joash, who was a son of Ahaziah. And his sister saves the little baby and takes him away and hides him so that he can't be killed by this daughter of Jezebel. These are the days of Elisha. So what happens? And I, I think this is where some of what we, we are facing in our world today is, is really playing out. There was so much evil that had been taught to the young people and to people in power both in Israel and in Judah, that it was just hard to stamp out. This was why I say when Elijah killed all those 
prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth and the fire fell down. You know, that was just the tip of the iceberg. There was a whole big iceberg still left. And so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that when the words of Jezebel came, that Elijah at that moment was really stunned by them. He saw them. They influenced him. I think in fairness to Elijah, I think in that transitional moment, there were other factors that were there. He was now going to have to expand himself. He was going to have to begin to develop this Elijah, Elisha, and he was going to have to deal with Jehu. He was going to have to deal with what God was doing through this Haziel, who was anointed by God to be the king of Syria. And that comes into play here in a little while. But it was a big point of expansion for Elijah. The enemy was coming against him, and I, I, I have felt, I had, bless me, Father, I've sinned. I have felt a lot of the things that Elijah voiced. So I think that these are spiritual factors. It's not just that he had a, a corrupted emotional life, which I've heard some preachers say, you know, he was strong from the pulpit, but he was weak in his own self. Give me a break. That's like that one Yahoo that I heard saying, if Paul had really understood the laws of faith, he wouldn't have had to have suffered the way he did. Well, who wrote those? So anyway, I think we just need to be really careful when we don't understand the spiritual dynamics before we point the crooked finger and say what's convenient to preach. Elijah was in a transitional moment. We're facing a lot of these same influences. Do you understand that? And if there was ever a time where we need to keep the mantle of our calling wrapped tightly around our head, it is today. Because if we get out from under that, we're going to be in really a vulnerable position. But it's a good thing. See, we have the privilege of, like I did as, a, as the, the fifth child, the baby of the family, I could see all the nonsense my brothers and sisters got into, and I could think, okay, how can I avoid that? I still want to do a lot of the things they did, but how can I avoid that? <laughs> Talked as a baby there. Isn't that right, Sarah? I knew you were going to say amen to that one. So, you know, I, 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 see, I see this, and it, it's very strange. So, back to the tale of this little baby named Joash. This is a real Moses-like story, isn't it? We're going to kill them all. This is like a Bethlehem story. We're going to kill them all. Well, here is a future king of Judah, Joash, who's preserved from the, from the murderer's knife and is hidden away. There is a priest named Jehoiada who comes onto the scene here. And he's devoted to God. And he's devoted to what God should do. And over the course of many years, he starts positioning people who are willing to believe in what Yahweh wants to have done. And he positions them very strongly but carry carefully now okay that sounds like that's just good management but think about this you've got a demonized woman who's on the throne and she's killing any and anybody any and everybody who is a threat to her how in the world did Jehoiada a priest mobilize all these people without her doing some kind of a 
you know, night of the long knives. How did, how did that happen? That had to be the Lord, but it's highly structured and it's listed, it's listed very carefully in the Kings and in the Chronicles, and um, it's, it's an amazing thing. So Jehoiada, finally, when Joash, the little baby, is seven years old, he says, I guess the timing of the Lord told him this. I, I think it's kind of risque to put a seven-year-old on the throne, but this was the timing of the Lord. He says, it's time. So he brings the little boy. He gets ready to anoint the little boy as the king, and all the people proclaim Joash as king. So somehow Jezebel's daughter, I'll just call her that because there's a lot of Athaliah, Amaziah, you know, Amazon. You know, you can, you can hear all these names and get confused. Jezebel's daughter, you know. She comes and she says, what the hey is going on? treason treason that's what the king james says she yells this out well they're not having any part of this they've had it with this woman so joash says this woman uh, or uh, jehoiada says this woman's got to be killed but we're not going to kill her on holy ground we're going to take her out to the gate and they kill her there then they find the guy his name i think it was maton and he is the he's the champion of baal they get him and they kill him too so they're not, they're not messing around. This is Judah, days of Elisha. And, you know, Joash is raised under the tutelage of this priest. And they're teaching the ways of God. They're, they're raising up people who will honor what God's plan is. They're even taking up a collection of money to repair the temple of the Lord which is great. And it, the Bible talks about how um, they, they took this big chest and uh, Jehoiada bored a hole down through, the, through, through the, the, the chest itself so people could put the money in. I, he must have looked to Fabian and Scott and said, hey, you got something that'll bore a hole down through here. Yeah, I got that for Christmas. Here, let, let's come and play with it. So uh, they, uh, they make that and they're collecting all this money. And Joash is doing basically what Jehoiada says to do, which is great. And the kingdom is beginning to prosper. Well, all of that influence of Baal is still ingrained in the society. And Joash starts making some political decisions that are not real smart. And God kind of tests him. One of the ways that God tests him, stick with me now, I'm almost through this history lesson. You need to know this. This is the Bible, okay? You need to know this. Um, Haziel, who was anointed as a king of Syria, he comes down and he attacks Gath, which probably needed a good attacking. And he takes it. And uh, Joash gets some political advice. And he says, I'm going to take... All the treasures I have, plus the money that's been contributed for the house of the Lord, and we're going to give it to Haziel, and maybe he'll back off. Well, it works. That was a mistake. That was a big mistake because Haziel, remember, had been anointed by Elijah and Elisha. That's what God told him up in the mountain as soon as his mantle came off his noggin. So this is God testing this young man. So Syria goes back up. And it just gets worse for Joash. Joash starts making some other probably unwise decisions. 
In the meantime, Jehoiada is getting older. The Bible says that he died when he was 130 years old. So let's see. I got about over 60 years left. I'll just be 82. So, you know, um, that this is great. So Jehoiada dies, and everybody is honoring him. They take him to where the kings are buried, and they bury this priest right there. I mean, he is honored. These are the days of Elisha. So as soon as Jehoiada is buried, his body, well, his body was probably at 130, pretty much cold already. But as soon as his body is in the ground, then come all these leaders of Judah. And they come to Joash. And they say, okay, now that Jehoiada's died, how about we give Baal another crack? How about if we start worshiping him again? And Joash goes along with it. Now, let's just stop here before we bring on the blood-curdling story of Zechariah, who Jesus mentioned. You think, if Jesus was talking about prophets, why didn't he, why didn't he bring some of our favorites? Why didn't he talk about Isaiah? Why didn't he talk about Samuel? Why didn't he talk about Deborah? Why didn't he talk about any of these other prophets? He goes to Abel and this guy. So it has to be divinely significant. Do you think that it's any accident that we're talking about this and what our mission is when we look all around us in society and we see all the nonsense that has been ingrained into our educational system? You know, some ridiculous thing can happen and society says, no, 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 we're not going with that. That's horrible. The next day, the same nonsense is being taught throughout kindergarten all the way up to Harvard. And so much of the demonic is ingrained in our society that that's the world we're living in. It really reminds of what happened in Israel and in Judah with Baal. Even Jehu who God said, you know what, you're doing such a good job of killing all these demonized people. And I'm going to let your kin, kin reign for the next four generations. And eventually they turned to Baal because it was so ingrained in the society. That's the world we're living in. And, and I think we just need to recognize that, not to be Debbie Downer, not to be, oh, you know, you're all going to hell in a handbasket but recognize that the days of Elijah, where the hearts of the fathers turn to the children and the children to the fathers, those are the days we're living in. And these things were happening during these two mighty men when the, the schools of the prophets, 150 years after Samuel had them established, that the schools of the prophets uh, were being revisited. We have to we have... To have uh, the, the attentiveness of Jehoiada, who was more 
inclined toward making sure that people were doing what the law said. That's what a priest should do. Which is why Jesus references this when he's talking, first of all, about the Pharisees and the scribes. And then in this story, he's talking to the, to, to the lawyers who have the key of knowledge and are leading people astray. This is societal. This, what he's talking about there at the end of Luke. See, we often stop at the strongholds. and the, If an unclean spirit is cast out, and we think, wow, that's great. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. That's Luke 11 in the beginning. Well, what about at the end? These are the days of Elijah and Elisha. And these are the days we're living in. So, Jehoiada dies. These wicked leaders of the people of God come to Joash. You would think that he would have recognized, hey, I don't need to be listening to these guys. You can see what happened to the kindred in the north. You can see what happened to um, Athaliah. I don't, I don't need to be going after Baal. But so many crazy things happen when people start worshiping wickedness. You know, God says in the New Testament that God gives them over to a reprobate mind. They'll believe a lie. They'll believe the things that they absolutely want to believe. We're living in those days. And it's sad, but it's, it's as old as as this passage in 2 Chronicles. So let's read what Jesus is talking about, okay? In 2 Chronicles chapter 24, beginning at verse 15. Jehoiada waxed old. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good phrase. Was full of days when he died, and 130 years old was he when he died. They buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not give ear. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood above the people and said unto them, Thus says Elohim, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones. I don't know how else you'd stone him. They stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king. Maybe they tried sponges first. They said, wait, this stoning with sponges is having no effect at all. We better, we better step it up to some stones. Tammy, you got any stones in your purse? Okay, let's use them. Oh, oh this is terrible. They conspired stoning with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada, 
Zechariah's father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. Can you imagine that? The audacity of that, just from a human perspective. This man, Jehoiada, saved his life. This man, Jehoiada, had preserved his, his kingliness from the time he was a little boy. This man, Jehoiada, was the backbone upon which this king rose up. And he probably, he had to have known Zechariah. They, they had to have eaten together at table. And here he is agreeing to the stoning of this boy. Have you seen things in our nation that you think, how are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Well, explain this one. When people are ingrained in a demonic mindset, there's no telling what they'll think is okay. Now here comes, here comes the other guy that Elijah and Elisha anointed. It came to pass at the end of the year that the host of Syria came up against Joash. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all the spoil of them unto the king of Damascus. The army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, and the Lord delivered a very great host into their hand, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. And when they were departed from him, for they left him in great diseases, his own servants conspired against him for the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest, and slew him on his bed, and he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they buried him not in the sepulchres of the king. These are they that conspired against him. There they have the list of them. What a story. What a story. You know, there's Jewish history, and you can read this. It may have some elements of truth of what happened when this Syrian force came and they saw there in, there was still the blood stain of Zechariah in this holy place and they said what is this and some of the people said oh this is just the blood of animals that we sacrifice but but according to the jewish history they said that that blood seemed to be activated and the and the syrian forces knew that they were lying and that's what stirred them to kill all these people they knew that they had done something against god isn't that amazing what a story now, the good news is, if there is good news, that the guy who then takes over after Joash was king, here's another ayah, Amaziah. And he then served God, but it said that his heart was really not in it. But the good news is that his son was Uzziah. And we know the story of Uzziah that then birthed Isaiah's ministry. But all of this stuff went on. See, we focus, we have a tendency to focus on Israel and Ahab and Jezebel. But this, this story about Jerusalem 
we don't often focus on. It's, I, I guess it's not as colorful. Um, but Jesus mentions it, and he mentions it, and if Jesus mentions something, you better pay attention. He's talking about the blood of the prophets that was shed from the foundation of the world. And he begins with Abel. And as I said, Abel really is the picture of doing what God asks, even though others don't want to do it and are ready to kill you for it. That's the first issuance, according to Jesus, of a prophet. The last one he mentioned that was listed in the Tanakh, which Jesus references, is this man, Zecharias, who was killed because he had the audacity to stand up in the temple in Jerusalem and say, don't follow Baal, follow God. If you follow Baal, you're going to be destroyed. And they, they have had enough of that, and they stone him with stones right there. And tradition says that they just left his blood there as a testament to anybody else who was going to say the same things. So why would Jesus earmark these two prophets, both of whom encompass the days of Elijah and Elisha? I think, and I know, that there is a, a word of warning for us, maybe not warning, maybe instruction, because, you know, I think like what Elijah thought. You know, we just saw fire fall from heaven. The drought is broken. Rain has come. All of these wonderful things. We killed all these ringleaders. You imagine killing 800-plus prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth and, and just barely having scratched the surface of how wicked and diabolical that de demonized doctrine of devil society was ingrained. Uh, now you can wonder, Elijah probably thought, well, what good is it? You know, I'm really not accomplishing anything. See, maybe we don't recognize, and God says, don't you know I have 7,000, and that's good. That's what God said. You're going to work with those people. But really, probably, the percentage of 7,000 when you compare the population of Samaria, northern kingdom, and basically what was inbred already into Jerusalem, what was that percentage? You got die-in-the-wool demonized people who, who, even though their leadership was gone, they were still determined to worship the devil. Do you think that maybe we should look at this, not from a, not from a despairing, well, what good is it kind of a thing, but reject that and say, we need to be God's voice. We need to direct the people to the Father. We need to live this, and we need to stay close to God because this, these, this influence demonically is pervasive. It's polluting. You can't touch it. You can't dance around with it. You can't tolerate it. You gotta, well, you gotta watch yourself and trust God and seek Him. Uh, who is on the Lord's side? And then Jehoiada, he comes up and he's a priest. The Bible doesn't really say, unless I've just missed it, that he was a prophet. He was a priest, which meant he was devoted to what should be. Prophets are too, 
but there's a difference between priests and prophets. Other, you debate that with the Lord. If we're prophets, priests, and king, there has to be a difference. And I also wonder about this. If, if Samuel and then Elijah and Elisha were devoted to training people how to hear from God, how to know God, how to prophesy, could that not be part of what we're going to be facing in what the book of Revelation says, where we as saints, pneumatikos people, sons, are seeking after what God really wants. And from that then, as Samuel, from that then, as Jehoiada, we train people who will prophesy accordingly. I always wondered about that. You know, and I don't, I don't doubt the scripture, but I read about in the Revelation how that the saints are in the crosshairs of uh, the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist, and the prophets. And I, I wonder about that, you know. Hopefully those guys are on the same page because I know good and well, and you do too, that what we know as saints from the Scripture, there are a lot of people who are prophets who don't necessarily go along with that. Now, I'm not faulting them. But I'm saying if you're going to go to war and you, you know that the saints, uh, that the queen of heaven wants a cup full of our blood, I mean, that what kind of prophet do you want serving with? You better have one that has been trained in how to seek after God and how to fulfill what you perhaps through intercession and devotion have uncovered. What was God's original intent? Serve God in this way. It's not just that you can say, thus says the Lord, or you can tell somebody what they had for pizza last night. What kind of prophet are you? Those are the ones that we need to be training because those are the ones that we're going to be able to rely upon when things get rough. And if you're waiting for things to get rough, guess what? They're already rough. <laughs> you know? This isn't a downer message. This is, this is a piece of meat that we need to see from the Word. And, and you know, I think that the, the most important text of all of it is that when Jesus is talking about, in that end part of Luke 11, he's talking about how the, the, the principles of God have been perverted. He begins by talking about the Pharisees that were, you know, the religious system that said, okay, God said this, but we think it means this, and then we think it means this, and then we think it means this, and we say we're protecting what God said, but really we put so many fences around it that nobody can really remember what God said. And then when Jesus comes and he's talking about what God said, the people are saying, hey, this guy speaking is one that really knows what he's talking about. He's speaking with one as authority. So Jesus begins by talking about the Pharisees, then he goes on to the doctors of the law, the scribes, those that are really the scholars of this thing. And it's in that context that he speaks about the blood of the prophets from the foundation of the world, and he cites Abel, the first, and Zechariah, the last. Interesting that the days of Elijah and Elisha are this last martyr that is in the Tanakh in those 24 books. Um, what, do, what do we need to, to digest with this? Well, we, we have the, the blessing of knowing that God is with us. We have the blessing of knowing that 
we're representing our Father, and we have the blessing of knowing that there are great, miraculous days ahead. We have the blessing of knowing that we have, in the past year, been uh, instructed to raise up the Rama schools and to teach and to train people in the ways of God, which is exactly what Samuel and Elijah, Elisha focused on and what Jehoiada focused on. You're in good company there. But, you know, I know it's not as exciting to read about this. You know, Jehu convinces people to toss Jezebel out the window and then the dogs come and eat. That's a, Boy, that's an inspiring. That'll get you ready for lubies. You tell that story and that's all people are going to talk about. What kind of dogs were they? Maybe there's some of those bully dogs that have been outlined in England. You know how they are. I, I don't know what kind of dogs they were. But that's, that's, in, that's inspiring. But to me, this story of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah and the king, Jehoshaphat, who Elisha respected, what was in his head to think, hey, my little boy who I love, find me a demonized woman for him to marry who will corrupt my kingdom just as he did the kingdom to the north. Who, who thinks that? And, you know, you have this story of this wicked woman who kills all these people and she takes the throne. But this little baby that's preserved by a sister who loved him. And then you have this priest that rises up and somehow in the midst of that oppressive um, third right kind of a society where anybody out of line whoosh, or Stalinistic, they're gone. He's able to raise up these companies who at one point say, this is the way of the Lord. Let's, let's anoint this king. He's, he's the rightful king. And let's train him in the ways of God, regardless of how it ended. There were many years where good things were happening. God, we're living those days. We're living, you're living those days. And the point is, I end with this. I mean, I didn't pluck this verse from some obscure writer, even though it's all anointed. Jesus said this. Jesus says this. The blood of the prophets from the foundation of the world, Abel and Zechariah. Wow. What's that say to us? Are we prophets? What, what, is, what is our devotion according to Jesus? Should we be like Abel and like this guy? Yeah. And are we in this kind of a world system? You know, you get rid of one and then five others come and they're just as bad. And you think, where are you coming from? What's that major university in the United States that won't admit that threatening Jewish people with their lives is wrong? What's that? They're stopping traffic in New York and all the major cities, accusing Israel of all kinds of barbarity, and people just think that's the great thing to do. Do, do you see that? We're living in that. So, again, this isn't downer days. I mean, 
if we want the light of the Lord, Isaiah 61, to shine on us, we should look at the darkness and the gross darkness and say, great. Well, not great. But the promise for us is God's light is going to shine on us. This is, this is what you've been trained for, and this is what we're training for. And we're doing as much as we can in the 60 years I have left to, to work with you in training people all over the world. But you're not going to change what the book of Revelation says. No matter how good you preach, no matter how much you pray, it's all going to happen just like God's Word says. When that happens, I don't know. I think it's a lot closer than any of us think. But instead of hypothesizing about dates and times, how about if we just relinquish that to the Father, which is where Jesus said it belongs, and do the work of the kingdom? And as Zach quoted that verse today, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached to all the world for a what? For a witness. There's that word again, martyria, prophet. We're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom to people who will represent God prophetically, and then shall the end come. That's where we are. And thankfully, we can still do that relatively unencumbered. So, <laughs> I know we began the service with triumphant worship. We had a wonderful prayer time yesterday, had people being healed, we were anointing for ministry, and then here, I drop this on you. Really, this is a good thing, because it's, it's a Jesus thing, isn't it? And I'm grateful as much as I have enjoyed Luke 11, I haven't really spent much time on the end of it. I've read it a lot of times, but I've never really seen the significance of it. But for some reason, the Spirit has directed it for now. Days of Elijah, days of Elisha, this is them. And we are to be what God would ask us to be. And it's It's wonderful. It, it's just wonderful. So don't be downcast. Don't be discouraged. Don't be in despair. And I'm trying to think of any other D words that I could say. Um, don't uh, distraught. <laughs> I'll get off that. Um, rejoice. Because the path in front of us in this year of truth and sonship is ripe for harvest and we have a, a wonderful job to do and I, I feel I feel like God is giving space for us to preach this gospel of the kingdom and to see many many hundreds of people come into the knowledge of what God really intends for them to be and to do these are great days but don't ever allow the scenarios that we see around us to cause us to want to give up. We have to recognize this is the playing field. This is what's at stake. So we work for the night comes when no man can work. But we work and we see what God has called us to be. So I'm not saying that any of us are going to be stoned. Stoned with sponges. I, I could probably tolerate that. Bring in the heavy artillery. I don't really like that. But um, this is this is interesting, and and I I think that I think that the, for the, and I end with this. I think I said I ended earlier, didn't I? 
Uh, Katie keeps note of those endings. Um, but, you know, I think the main thing is sometimes I look at what's going on around us and it really does, it really does irritate you, doesn't it? And I, I, I feel irritated for, for our country because I think, how, how has this happened? You know, I, I can see how it happened. You can look back over history and see how it happened. But to some ways, I'm kind of embarrassed. I was you know, on the Brazilian broadcast the other day, and uh, we were talking about um, the fact that um, in Luciano's church, they've got a man from Iraq that became born again on the street when we had our teams there and Pastor Robert was speaking with Pastor Esso and this man who doesn't speak any Portuguese got saved. Well, he's now part of Luciano's church, which is really kind of interesting because they can't communicate with each other except through that little Debo app that they have. And um, this guy was talking about what it meant to be a Christian in Iraq right now. And how that uh, they find Christians, many in his family were had all their fingernails pulled out. And, you know, just many of them killed. And as she was telling me this, and how happy this man was to, to know Jesus, and to be there in Brazil where he's not threatened for worshiping Jesus, I couldn't help but think, seems that our country went in there and eliminated Saddam Hussein and uh, gave those people democracy. And we left them. I guess we're still there. But it's so bad now that we hear this nation, one nation under God, we went in there and here's this guy who had to escape for his very life. And it, it embarrassed me. I guess the same can be said of Afghanistan and any number of other nations. I, I, I just, I, I, you know, it reminds me of what General MacArthur said at the end of World War II. He said a lot of things. Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. You know, that one you probably should know. But he, he said, he talked to Truman and he said, now is the time for the United States of America to send tens of thousands of missionaries into this nation. Now is the time. And we didn't do it. I guess there were political pressures. Even back then. Even back then. And I, I, I know that there has to be an accounting for that in some way. And not only, not only for what we've done in other nations, but we've allowed to happen in our own nation it's just it it's it's the days of elijah it's the days of elisha and we can see them in the word and if we're going to sing the songs and say that this is what's happening we have to recognize well what else was in those days why did jesus earmark those days when he culminated the ministry of the prophet. We see it. And so with that, 
We cannot allow ourselves to be like Elijah was, where you think, well, what good is it? What good does it do? If great miracles happen, these people are still as lousy and the demonic as they were. You know, sometimes that thought can derail people. I know that. We cannot let that happen. We have to remain true to what our mission is and what Jesus has given us to do for the kingdom. And that's a wonderful privilege. But if, if we allow ourselves to get kingdom now, we're going to be, of all people, most, most defeated. And what is kingdom now? You know, there was that kingdom now idea that if we just did everything that God wanted us to do and preach the gospel, that this nation and all the nations of the world will get so good that we'll avoid what Daniel in Revelation says. That in essence, we'll rewrite scripture. That ain't happening. You will never eliminate not one jot or tittle of what the scripture says. So we just have to recognize where we are, what God has given us to do, the privilege that we have to serve God, to, to, to do this important work which uh, the prophets of old have looked to and would, would have loved to live where we are. And we have to be devoted to that. We cannot allow ourselves to become dumbed down by the atmosphere of the demonic that surrounds us. And we must not allow ourselves to look around us and say, as Elijah did, you know, I'm not any better than my forefathers. I, I'm not, I, I, I just can't do it. Do you see that? Oh, that don't ever happen to me. Well, why not? <laughs> Beware when you say you stand lest you fall. I've felt all of these things, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. We need to recognize that we're lights in the darkness, and it's a good thing to be that, that the Father has chosen you and me. I'm not so sure about you guys. All of us, just joking, just joking, just joking, just joking. God has chosen us to represent him right now, and it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? So, Abel, Zacharias. You see, you never thought when you got out of bed this morning that you'd be hearing story about Jezebel's daughter, Amaziah, Athaliah, Amazon Prime, um, Jehoiada, Joash, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, all those J's. You know, don't you think they, they ran out of J's? A's and J's. They had to start getting some other names because they're out. Well, you named all these kids with the beginning with A. Let's get to the B's. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's going to be a great year. It already is. But let's, let's, let's not be ignorant of really where we are, and let's gird ourselves up with the word and so that the enemy cannot find a crack in our armor and derail us. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. I uh, thank you for this congregation and the congregation of the saints, the saints, that allows me to speak these kinds of words on a Sunday morning. I appreciate that, Father, that we can talk about meat in here and, and we can utilize it to be prepared for what is ahead. I pray that you will galvanize and strengthen all of us for this year 
that we will go forward in strength and in power with the, with the word of God as our sword, with the word of God as our meat, with the word of God as our bread, that we take the shield of faith and we go forward to do the work of our Father while it is yet day. Help us, Father. Bless us so that we can do your work in your way, in your time. We love you. We thank you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, everybody. And uh, have a great, great week. See you soon.